listening to episode 158 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Andrew Compton and Dr. Alan Strange conclude their series on the gospel for a post-Roe society by responding to the world's reaction to the repeal of Roe and how the church can continue to be a bastion for life. Well, we're happy to be once again with all of our faithful listeners We know that you support us, you give to this institution, you pray for this institution, and we're truly grateful and appreciate that. We're talking about difficult things here in these last uh, few podcasts. We're talking about um, Roe v. Wade, uh, the role that that played for the last almost 50 years in American culture, the repeal of Roe v. Wade and Casey by Dobbs more recently, and the ongoing debate that's been going on for centuries, really, uh, the question of the the status, the place, the value of unborn life, life in the womb. And this is indeed, we affirm, we're happy to affirm that this is human life, thus made in the image of God, thus do all the protections and privileges that accrue thereunto. And we're reflecting on how um, in recent decades and now really kicked up again, the repeal of Roe v. Wade in Dobbs has sent a number of people, we can see it from the newscasts and what we see in the public forum, whether it's online or on air, we do see and hear from, uh, as is always the case, you know, the these big squeaky wheels sometimes can can deceive us. And what I mean by that is, um, there is these days, a, a, we could even say a radicalized left, a progressive left that is making a lot of noise. And with respect to this issue, they're making a lot of noise and they're saying things in some respects that aren't true because, and we've, we've briefly addressed this, but they, they're saying the overturning of Roe v. Wade by Dobbs makes abortion illegal, or that's what everybody wants at a national level. Uh, they're saying things like that when, in fact, it's returned to the states, uh, that question. And we're, of course, from a Christian point of view, defending this. But this has often been said, we're defending life, this has often been said uh, by people on our side of the spectrum, that is to say, who are seeking to be biblical and Christian uh, it's often said that the radicals, um, those who have very much politicized this issue of late, um, that they often speak of abortion with a seeming fondness hmm. that some on our side have said they seem to regard abortion as a sort of sacrament of their movement, of their of their whether it's a kind of radical feminization or whatever the particulars may be that. They would consider abortion a sort of ra- a, a sacrament of the movement. Like an irony with that, if I can even yeah. throw this in. I remember a news report right after the striking of Roe, and they were showing these women who all gathered to partake at the same moment of their abortion pills mm. on the steps of the Supreme Court. Right. I mean, eat and drink and right. remember and believe that right. abortion is for you. Right. Uh, good grief, right? A kind of religious right 
which is certainly how um, anthropologists and sociologists would mm-hmm. even speak of uh, sacraments. But in saying that, mm-hmm. we want to recognize, we want to be clear to recognize that we don't think this radical position is something that necessarily characterizes the generality of the electorate, the generality of the American populace. Many people, uh, those who have had abortions, many of them regret it uh, because it's the sort of thing that does create a lot of regret and a lot of remorse. Uh, Those who have had them have often felt like they had no choice. They were pressured by families. They were pressured by men, whether it was husbands or boyfriends. We could we could multiply that out. And so it isn't the case. And we don't want to push people in the direction, just like when we talk about Islam and radical Islam. And some people will say, some Christians will say, well, all Islam, if it's truly doctrinaire and Quranic, is radical. And we sort of work in a way that seems like we're pushing everybody to be a radical Islamist. We don't really want to do that any more than we want to push people to be radical abortionists. So we want to minister to people. Here's the point. We don't want to deal with this in a highly partisan, um, a political way, a way that is that is pushing people to defend this. We want rather to come alongside of people who have either had abortions and speak about there's mercy with Christ and those who may be contemplating it to present proper alternatives to them and to help them in this in every way that we can. Uh, We want to be those who come alongside and minister, not simply condemn because truth be told, when we come to condemning, I don't need to look any further than the mirror Hmm. to see who should be condemned. I should be condemned those who have had abortions or who have struggled with it or who contemplate it are not worse sinners than I am, and they don't deserve mercy and grace and forgiveness. I do. No, we need to be preaching the gospel to all. Well, if we can even point out, I, you can read journalists and you can read people who have spent a lot of time listening to uh listening to women who have gotten abortions. And the vast majority of those women are saying they did it because they thought they didn't have a choice. Right. Now, again, don't don't mishear me. We're not saying, oh, well, in that case, everything's fine. But look, the, the point is that the women who are, majority of the women who are doing this are not the ones taking the birth control pill in celebration on the steps of the Supreme Court, they're, they're scared. They've been raped. Uh, they have, uh, they're, they're, um, they're 13 years old. They're, you know, pick your thing. They're impregnated by an older brother. I mean, right. there's some scary, scary things happening. And the that breakup is, of the family means that there are a lot of non-biological people yeah. living together. It's not to say that that bio- biological incest does not occur, mm-hmm. but it's it's much more likely in non-biological groupings of persons that you're going to have abuse, which will include right. sexual abuse. Well, and and what that is should alert us to is when we are thinking about, I would even say the majority of the women who are going into those doors, they are they have convinced themselves that this is how they will deal with an unworkable situation. 
this is a chance. Uh, if all we do is shout murderer, 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 at one level, maybe that we, we could argue, yes, at one level, that's the case. This is a murder and this is being complicit in this murder. But, you know, this is, uh, this is something they are seeing from a very different lens. And if we're going to speak to this and help them to turn around and walk out of that clinic or not get out of their car, there's a different message that we need to be speaking that will actually connect with them and show them that, no, your, your true shalom, your true hope is not found in the doors of that clinic. It really is out here, even though it doesn't seem like that's possible. Right, and not just shouting at them and condemning them in our own version of Westboro Baptist. Right, right. It's interesting. Um, I wonder, well, I think the church is in some ways in a similar position to where uh, – where many have seen the Republican Party, if I can invoke politics here, because uh, Jason Riley back in September, a great columnist for the Wall Street Journal, was looking at how polling was playing out in light of Roe, uh, the, re- the repealing of Roe, uh, pointing out that when Roe was, the, here's, here's Riley, he says, when Roe was the law of the land, it was easier for Republican candidates to be pro-life absolutists because the issue was out of their hands and what they said had no practical consequences. But now, post-Roe, a number of Republicans are fumbling because they don't actually know how to present a positive pro-life stance. Many do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not right. not blanket, but many don't, and they're being caught on the on the back foot. The church, not everywhere. Some churches have been very active in, in crisis pregnancy centers. I have a friend at church who, every year, is very much involved in the in a in a walkathon, raises thousands of dollars, you know, to support clinics that are there to to really help women who are feeling like they're hopeless. There's many in our churches who have done that, but there has been uh, this sense that what the church needs to do is decry uh, pro-choice, and that's the end of our task. And yet now we're in a place where we're going, okay, well, Roe's gone. Are women who we are saying we don't want them to feel welcome at an abortion clinic, we don't want that to seem like the right option, is the church the place where they're going to come? When Brian and I were, uh, Brian Blummer, our, our uh, director of uh, enrollment, when he and I were down at, at uh, Gospel Coalition, we were set up next to a parachurch who has created a whole curriculum to come into churches, help groups of churches to create like Bible studies and to help women who have unwanted pregnancies um, to start thinking biblically about their babies and to support them and to help them. They'll even throw like a baby shower for these women. And I know many in our circles are like, wait a minute, are we glorifying uh, are we glorifying fornication? Are we glorifying uh, sin? Well, no, that's not what they're trying to do. But what they are trying to show is that even for somebody who is bearing a child that has been conceived out of a sinful act, let's say, presuming that's what it is, the church is still a place where they're going to be loved, they're going to be supported, and they will find hope. And thankfully, we're we're beyond the you know in the past, in the deep past, we didn't always handle this well. We we let it bear in upon the child. But I know, even just in this way, by way of discipline, uh, we've had a se- several cases throughout the throughout my ministerial life in which young ladies uh, out of wedlock have become pregnant. Maybe they were engaged to the fellow. Uh, maybe it was a boyfriend, they became pregnant. And as we dealt with not only not only the young lady, but the man, 
You don't just deal yeah. with one party. You deal right. with both parties and talk to them. And let's say they're repentant. And we've had this situation where we make a clear distinction between the sin that was occasioned, the sin that was the, that was there at the conception that shouldn't have been there because they weren't married. But then it's not a sin to have a child. It's a blessing. It's a joyful thing to be celebrated. So yeah, we're going to have a shower. We're going to do all the kind of things for this child that we would do for any child. Yeah. We're not going to put a mark on the child. And because in the past, I mean, we're, let's be honest here. We, we've not always, we've not always handled this in the best way. We've let this go on and on, so to speak. And, the child is referred to in a certain way that I'll not just say mm. here, but everybody mm. knows it. Sure, uh, you can think of, and and in King Lear, and that that one who in King Lear is not legitimate is a mm-hmm. is a terrible young man. If you know the play right. King Lear, and so, but we we don't think that. Well, and you know, and in the past too, there was a time when a pregnancy out of wedlock was treated as sort of the most serious sin, most worthy of public acknowledgments. Uh, and, and you know, young girls would be marched in front of the church. Uh, who knows where the, where, the, where the boyfriend was? Right. Uh, but marched in front and told to confess publicly, you know, uh, and, and everybody would nod their heads. And, and there's even some, uh, hey, Stanley Wiersma in his Seats of Muning poems even points out a really ironic case where once it was the, the elder's own daughter, then suddenly he wasn't all in support of that. That's a, that's a really dark smear, I think, on our church discipline practices and many of our churches. That would be talking about this from that negative side, but look how we can treat this positively. Right. We can reclaim the messaging of the goodness of sex in marriage. We can reclaim and promote uh, delight in marital sex, mutuality in marital sex. We can promote delight in children so that the whole discussion of sexuality is is framed positively. So we have a message before a world that wants free, they want free abortion because they want no strings attached sex. Right. And instead we can say, you don't want no strings attached sex. What you want is not, you know, you, you think of those, uh, isn't those Amish beds where they have a board down the middle so that the husband and wife don't accidentally touch each other and potentially get aroused and, and make love or something, right? This is a message of, no, sex in marriage is a good thing, and this is a desirous thing, and there's a, uh, we want there to be a, uh, we want this culture to live in our churches so that We've got a we've got traction in this pro life cause, and I think we want to go a step further too, and and say we aren't simply concerned with preventing the murder of unborn children, but we are wanting to promote the welfare of humans. We want to fight racism. We want to fight poverty. We have diaconates that are seeking to be generous and provide benevolence for poor people, for hurting people. Uh, we want to provide. Christian hospice. We want to have meaningful, uh, rigorous protocols for preventing abuse and promoting healing and shalom. This is what the church should be about. We want to support pregnancy centers. We want to, uh, there's all, all kinds of things that the world needs from us right now, and we're in a position to give that. Rather than being the first place to simply condemn and the last place to welcome, yeah. it should be the other way. We should be 
um, hospitals for the sin sick, as Calvin said. That's what we are. And we speak about the sacraments, some of the radicals making abortion a sacrament. Well, we have the true sacrament and that of initiation and baptism and that of continuation and of continual communion in the Eucharist, sacraments which nurture us and bespeak God's grace to sinners. And again, we we have to be consistent in this. Uh, it, it, I, I once preached a sermon from Leviticus uh, called A Consistent Death Ethic in which I addressed um, uh, abortion, uh, giving your children the fires of Molech, and it's cheek to jowl with another verse there in Leviticus 18 and 20 that talks about man lying with man. Hmm. And I said that both of these were a an improper use of sexuality because uh, the same-sex relation never has the possibility of creating life, and the abortion situation uh, destroys the product of this life. So it's a consistent death ethic, mm-hmm. I called it. And we have a consistent life ethic. Yeah. And what I went on in the sermon to do was actually to talk about how we partake of this, how how same-sex is a failure to love the otherness, uh, how hmm. uh, abortion is a, a selfish, uh, it's not a, a giving. Both of them are not about giving, they're about taking. And that how we are no different. We may not have this degree of commission, but we all we all struggle with this and of how these we like to think that these sins are of 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 such a different kind when in fact there are different degrees of sins of which we partake. So we need to be in a consistent life ethic, reaching out uh, and not in a way that of course we're not we're not condoning sin or. Right. Are, are, are having a view of cheap grace, if you want to put it in those terms, but of the very costly grace of our Savior who died on the cross for all of our sins. Even after the repeal of Roe, the issue of abortion continues to be of immense concern for the church. So we must remain solid in our understanding of what's at stake, but even more importantly, that we maintain a solid footing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel that must be shared with those in the abortion community. Next time, Reverend Compton joins us again, this time joined by Reverend Mark Vanderhart, where they'll begin a discussion on wisdom and proverbs. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcast and wherever you listen to your favorite shows, search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.